0: well Lord we love you we thank you for your word we ask you release revelation and light tonight open the eyes of our understanding that we would engage with you and hear what the spirit is saying to the church in this hour cause our hearts to agree with your heart as it relates to the Jewish people as it relates to Abraham's offspring to, to the nation that you promised Abraham God do that tonight. Help us to understand the way you think and feel. let me speak with clarity as an oracle, I ask. Hold my hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we're on part two of our our series, God's Redemptive Plan for Israel. If you want, you can go on our YouTube channel. And Hazen did a great job last week of unpacking uh, the seven covenants that the Lord made, has made to Israel and giving some of his personal testimony just about how God had marked his heart. And I pray that even through this series, that many of us, our hearts would be um, softened and marked with God's uh, dream and his desires as it relates to the Jewish people. And so tonight, I'm going to turn our attention to um, the, the New Testament. I'm going to look at what Paul unpacked for the church at Rome as it relates to Israel, as it relates to, to the Jews. And um, the context of Paul's writing of the book of Romans is super important because um, when you understand the context, then you understand why he says the things he says in the detail that he says them when he's talking to the church at Rome, specifically when he's talking about uh, Israel and God's redemptive plan. And probably Romans 9, 10, and 11, those are probably the three most dense chapters uh, in the New Testament that explains God's redemptive purposes for Israel and so I would strongly encourage you um, if you want to get understanding on what God thinks and feels about Jews and the Jewish people and their um, the the uh, plans that he has for them the purposes that he has and the, the salvation that he wants to bring to them. Romans 9, 10, and 11, that's your, that's your go-to. That gives us real, real clarity on the way the Lord thinks. And so the context, what you have to understand is uh, this, and this is not in the notes, so you may want to put a little note to yourself on the notes, but in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, we're told that all the Jews were expelled from Rome under Claudius Caesar. That, the reign of Claudius Caesar was between 41 and 54 A.D. And so the writing of the book of Romans is around uh, 56 A.D. So between 41 and 54, Claudius... He, he put this decree out and said, all the Jews have to leave Rome. And by, in 54, Claudius gets poisoned. You know how all that worked, all those Caesars, they always kill the guy before them. So the next guy, Nero, gets in. Well, Nero goes ahead and opens up uh, Rome to the Jews again. And so by 56, Paul is writing this book. And what most people don't understand about the book of Romans is that it's literally a cultural reconciliation book. The purpose for Paul to write the book of Romans is because the church in Rome, they had had Jews and Gentiles uh, together. They had been expelled now for about a decade, and now they're coming back together together. And so what Paul is doing is level setting them with the gospel and giving clarity as to this mystery of the one new man, Jew and Gentile together in Jesus, the Messiah. And so when he's writing the book of Romans, that's the main point that he's doing is he's giving them 16 chapters. It's a church he's never been to. But because they're not used to being together, and they haven't been together, and that's the number one racial you know, turmoil in, in the first century is Jew and Gentile, particularly Rome, Romans, and Jews. That is a massive, massive turmoil. And so Paul is writing a letter to bring them to peace and to unity in Jesus. And so he's going to go through great pains with great clarity. I mean, the book of Romans is just an incredible uh, gospel work, Uh, just the pinnacle of the gospel in some ways. But he's going to go through great pains to explain that this thing called the gospel of the kingdom, he starts off, he says, I'm not ashamed of it. In chapter one, he says, I can't wait to come to Rome and preach it to you, church. And he says, then this gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so he's level setting this thing and explaining that everybody in the church in Rome, you guys are all believers in the same gospel. And what he's got to do is he's got to thread the needle because he's got to explain how everybody has to come into Jesus that there is no other way of salvation, that everybody is trapped under sin and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so they all have to come in through Jesus, even the Jews, which is a real interesting point because the gospel came through the Jewish Messiah. And so he is, he is threading a needle that is so important Explaining the necessity of salvation through Christ, the, the, um, the destruction of sin across the whole human family. But then what he's got to do in Romans 9 through 11 is now he's going to come back and speak to the Roman believers, the Gentile believers and say, hey, by the way, Gentile guys. It's really important you understand that you're believing in the Messiah of Judaism. And it's really important that you understand that this story that Jesus Christ, Him crucified and resurrected for your sin, that this story has a much, much deeper heritage than just you saying yes to uh, the, the, the Nazarene. And so... When Paul is unpacking this stuff, he is speaking on multiple levels at the same time. Now, one of our challenges is this. So often, the way the Bible is treated by Bible teachers is they will take a verse, yank it from the context, hammer that verse, and then form doctrine or teaching around it. And that really, it creates a a lot of confusion. And unfortunately, um, we have this uh, challenge in the church right now but we have to explain that God has not replaced Israel with the church now what's interesting about that is the the guys that teach that they use Paul so they use Paul to try they use Paul they'll they'll grab a couple verses Romans 2 they grab one in Romans 9 and they'll use Paul in Galatians 3 and so they'll grab a few of Paul's teachings, and they'll say, See, see, the church is now in the place of, of Israel. And when you read Paul, you can't get there if you read all of Paul. If you read a, a verse here and a verse there, you can make a case. But if you read everything Paul says, you can't get there. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to do our best in the next three weeks to uh explain what paul's doing as he's he's unpacking these truths to the gentile church about god's redemptive plan for israel and that's that's what we predominantly gentile believers that's all of us who don't have a jewish heritage this is the the message to us that we need to understand about jews and about israel so i think this romans 9 through 11 are incredibly important Chapters for the church in this hour um, It's where Paul lays out God's redemptive purposes As I've said, he makes it uber super clear That the church has not replaced Israel um, He discusses the, with diff, uh, the difficult tension That the Jews are beloved for a number of reasons Yet they are enemies of the gospel and he's having to weave together this tension in a really challenging way because he's calling the church to, to um, embrace and understand the position of Jews that are not following Messiah. He's calling them to the Gentile believers to unity with Jews that are following Messiah. And then he's having to distinguish between the two and God's historic covenantal promises. So it's a really Difficult task that he's speaking on many levels. So there in your notes under C, in the Roman numeral 1, still in my introduction. When you read chapter 9, Paul starts off and expresses his grief that Israel, that the Jews by and large have not accepted their Messiah and then so what he's going to do is he's going to detail why they're important in god's redemptive plan and that's what we're going to go through tonight i'm going to go through that in detail and um and then he explains that there is a sovereign purpose and plan that is still intact so this is after the cross after the resurrection paul writing in the new testament and he's explaining in detail that the plan, the sovereign purpose of God for Israel is still intact. That's what he does in chapter 9. In chapter 10, he starts off and he says, he goes, Jewish people are zealous for God. The problem is they don't have the spirit of revelation on them about who their Messiah is. And so they're still trying to be justified by the law. And they need to experience the justification that comes through grace. And then he explains in Romans 10 that they've actually got to confess Jesus as Lord. Now that phrase, Jesus is Lord, it's it's more than just Jesus is the boss. It's, It's Isaiah 45. It's Jesus is Yahweh. That's actually what it is. He's actually declaring Jesus is God in the flesh. He says they've got to come to grips with. Yahweh has come to us, it's Emmanuel, it's God with us, and the Jews have to embrace this. Romans 10, that great salvation chapter, contextually is about how the Jews have to receive Jesus. I know we apply it for the gospel in going to the nations and everything, but that is not the context. Romans 10, Paul starts off talking about how Jews are zealous, but they don't have knowledge, they don't have revelation, and then he goes through and explains how they can come to revelation, he goes, how will they believe if there's not a preacher, and ha- how can they hear the word unless someone declares it to them, and, and so he, he's he, he's describing that this is how we've got to declare the word of the Lord, and then they've got to mix their zeal with faith in Jesus, and that's how you get born again that's how you're saved well Romans 11 Romans 11 man if you if honestly if you could just get clear on Romans 11 it would settle so much as it relates to understanding God's plan for for Israel Romans 11 is fantastic Um, he explains God's unfolding plan to bring Israel to full salvation there's four key parts that he's, he unpacks in there. We'll cover those in, in the next uh, two weeks. Not tonight, but the next two weeks. And uh, in Romans 11, he gives a stern warning to Gentiles not to get puffed up and arrogant against Jews, but to realize that God's plans are still intact for them. And so I'm, man, I am always really leery when I hear uh, Christians Starts saying negative things about Jews on a variety of levels. Now listen, everybody always goes, so what about national Israel? What about that? Do you, do you agree with this, that, and the other that we see in the headlines? I, I, I'm not specifically, when I'm saying we've got to stand with the Jewish people, I'm not specifically saying we've got to stand with every decision the government of Israel makes. They are, you know... Unbelievers, they're they're not following Jesus. They're gonna make bad decisions just like the government of every nation, just like the government of our nation. But it's interesting to me. I can post about any nation, I can put anything out there about any nation. But as soon as I say something about Israel, but what about their government? I mean, it is wild. This uh negative response that comes as soon as I say something about Israel. That should cause your antenna to go up. That should make you wonder, where is that vitriol coming from? Where is this angst and this animosity coming from? And obviously what we know is that Antichrist, when he arises at the end of the age, he is going to have a really, really specific set of plans in place. And one of them is going to be to destroy Israel. Well, historically, we've seen that. We've seen Antichrist-type leaders arise and try to destroy Israel. Well, that's not done with. We are going to see that at the end of the age in a way that, I mean, it's going to make all the other ones look like they were in the minor leagues. And so, I'm always alerted when there's this instant backlash against the nation of Israel. I just think, where's that energy coming from? Because I could say, I could name a country. They've got as many atrocities as any, just pick a country. Italy, pick a country. North Korea. I mean, you could just throw anything out there, you know? Mexico. We could just throw any country. And and there's just not this vitriol. As soon as you say Israel, the energy goes way up. That should be be a little sign to us. Well, Paul gives a stern warning. He goes, hey, hey. He goes, don't get arrogant. God's still got a plan there. And he describes it. We'll go over that in detail. We'll go over the the, the warning that he gives in in chapter 11 to Gentile believers not to to think more highly of themselves than they ought and and mistreat Jews or uh, look down on them. All right. Okay, so let's look at Romans uh, 9. And we're basically going to camp out in verse 1 through 5 for the rest of our time. Um, Yeah, so let's just read this. Romans 9, verse 1. Paul says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Man, I just, that phrase. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Now look at verse 3. says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain. Now he's going to name eight things here. Just get, get, your, get your mind ready. Says, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. There's a good Trinitarian passage for you. Christ who is the eternally blessed God. I like that one. All right. Okay, so let's work through this. So he's going to start off and he says this. I have continual sorrow and pain. And he's saying over the fact, he says, I have grief in my heart. That, That phrase, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. He goes, I am not lying about this. My conscience is a witness. He goes, this is what's going on inside of me right now. And he says, the reason he has that is, he's pointing to the fact that that Israel has not followed their Messiah. Now just think that through for a second. I mean, can you just put yourself in his shoes? He's like... I'm a Jew of the Jews. I'm a Pharisee according to the law. I mean, he goes, I, I, everything I know is is Jewishness and Judaism. I, I, know, I know that's my whole lineage. And, and the hope of Israel is that Messiah would come, the Savior of the world would come. And here he is on the other side of his Damascus Road encounter, having been shocked with the truth that Jesus is the Messiah of Judaism. And he was killing Christians, killing believers in the Messiah that Paul was looking for. Now, Can you, I mean, just, just get in the mind of the, the shock of the Damascus Road encounter and what's going on in the apostle Paul. And then the Lord shocks him further and goes, and guess where I'm gonna send you, uh, Jew of Jews? I'm gonna send you to Gentiles even. I mean, Paul is getting his mind blown on the road to Damascus, 10 levels deep. But what never leaves him is his deep desire for the Jewish people to know their Messiah. And so there he is, and he's writing the, the church at Rome. Again, he's never been there. He's trying to give them a picture of what, it, what it's supposed to look like. And he's saying, he goes, I am burdened. My heart is broken. I have sorrow and grief in my heart. And the point is, over the fact that the people through whom came all these promises and blessings, that they're not following Messiah. This is not just sort of the Jewish guy's perspective. This is the word of God. This is Paul, expressing the heart of God, you know, with the spirit of prophecy and revelation, he's writing scripture, he's expressing the heart of God about Jews, about the way that he wants, the way the Father wants Jews to know their Messiah. And so Paul says, I am groaning, he's talking about his own intercessions, the sorrow and the grief, he's talking about his own intercessions for the salvation of Israel. And he says, "This is this is so intense in me now. Just think this through. I, I can't even. I, I I don't even think I could say this about anyone. I mean, maybe my wife and my children. Maybe if I'm feeling super spiritual one day. Maybe." He says, "I could wish that I was cursed. I was cut off." He's saying salvifically. He goes. This is so intense in me, I could wish that I would be cut off for them, that they would be saved. In other words, he's saying, I would trade my salvation for the salvation of the nation, if if, it could be a thing. And and this is just, you just got to catch this. This is the apostolic witness. This is the New Testament. This is the word of God. This is the expression of the heart of God, the Lord showing us. How serious he is about the salvation of Israel. But well, we've got passage after passage after passage in the Old Testament that says it. But for this to say it this way in the New Testament, I mean, it is like really, really intense. This should cause all of our ears to perk up and our antennas to go up. I mean, Isaiah 62, the Lord prophesies it. He says, "He says, I am... Uh, he says... Um, I will not hold my peace. I will not keep silent for Jerusalem's sake. And then he enlists the intercessors and he says, in you who cry out to the Lord, he says, do not keep silent and give the Lord no rest until I establish and make Jerusalem the praise of the earth. He makes it really, really clear that he's going to enlist a prayer movement across the nations for Israel's salvation because he says, I am not going to shut up about this. That's what he says through Isaiah in Isaiah 62. Through Zechariah, he says, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. In Zechariah 2 and in Zechariah 8. In Zechariah 2, that verse that says, you're the apple of my eye, that is a verse spoken specifically to Israel. Now I know we appropriate that to the church, but he's saying that to Israel. And so when you read Romans nine and you get around what Paul is saying right there, I mean, it's without controversy that God is burdened deeply, that we see the apostle is giving the emotions of God. He's not just speaking on his own behalf. That's the word of of God. That's Romans nine, one through three. This is the way God thinks and feels about Israel. This the, the point of this being in there is so that our hearts would resonate with it as well. Amen. So, verse four I don't love where that chapter where that verse break is, but so verse three says, I could wish I myself were accursed from Christ <clears throat> for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And then he's going to give us all these points to whom pertain or who who, these things all come from them, is the idea. To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. So what Paul's doing now is, verse one through three, he says, they are extremely precious to God and I'm aching for their salvation in ways that it's hard for me to express. And now I'm going to tell you, eight reasons why they're so precious to God and why they're so precious to me and by extension, why they should be so precious to you. So here he goes. Let's look at them. First, the adoption. I'm in B under Roman numeral two. And what I've done with each one of these areas that Paul specifically lists is I've given you two or three or five Bible verses. That you can see how through the the biblical narrative, these points are all elucidated as it relates to Israel, to to the Jewish people. How they all point to them and they're from them. So firstly, the adoption. Now we love the verses that talk about being adopted by God, don't we? We love the father heart message. We love that he put his spirit in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. We we love that. We love those messages. And why not? Because, man, we're children of God. Like, we know his love as a father. That's beautiful. It's powerful. But what Paul is saying is, remember, he goes, remember all that stuff I said in Romans 8 about how he puts the spirit of his son in your heart, crying out, Abba, Father? Remember that? Romans 8, one, one chapter earlier? He goes, yeah. That whole adoption idea, that was first to the Jews. <laughs> like, like, you can't cut Paul up and just take him one bite over here and then it just doesn't apply. No, he goes, that adoption that I just laid out for you, that's, it pertains to them. It's from them. It's of them. And, um, and, and I, I just, you know... The, the, the zeal of the father over Israel is intense. I put it in your, in your uh, notes there, Exodus 4.22. So Exodus 4.22, that probably doesn't ring a bell. It's not a passage that's quoted often. But it's God saying to Pharaoh, he goes, hey, hey, you've enslaved my firstborn son. Israel is my son. And the, and the, the father, it's, I can feel like the, the zeal and the, 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 the strength of the father coming to protect his children. He goes, hey, I'm telling you right now, let my, let my son come and worship me. And he goes, I've already dropped nine plagues on you. I'm about to drop number 10. If you don't let my firstborn son go, it's going to cost you your firstborn son. <laughs> Paul says, that's the adoption. That's the adoption. It pertains to Israel first. So intense. The zeal of God over them. His father heart over them. The tenderness of his heart over them. Because that pertains to Israel first. All right, secondly, the glory. We we throw that word around a lot. Oh, man, I felt the glory. I I appreciate that. Uh, I like feeling the glory. I like, yes, the glory. Paul says the glory pertains to them. And what's he talking about? He's talking about this, that in the history of the entire world, ever, there's never been a people that God said, I will dwell in your midst. My glory will dwell among you. And I think we we kind of just, I don't know, it just gets cliche to us. But, I mean, think this through. He calls Israel out of Egypt, sets them up, comes with his glory on Sinai, gives Moses all the plans for the tabernacle. Why? So God can physically, visibly dwell in the midst of the nation in manifest glory. Like, what? What are we talking about? I'm saying, like, imagine... Imagine Washington, D.C., the Capitol building, has got a pillar of fire shooting up to the heavens and that the entire region is covered with a cloud, a glory cloud that's a fiery glory cloud, uh, you know, at night and by day. I mean, a fiery glory cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. They don't need any electricity because you have a glory cloud lighting up the entire D.C. region. That's Israel. (laughs) That's what Paul is pointing to. He goes, the glory pertains to God dwelling in their midst. No other nation has ever had that experience. And I think that what we do is we get used to the biblical story and we just kind of go, oh yeah, cloud by day, fire by night. And we do not understand how significant that is that God would choose this guy named Abram. Rename him, you know, he's from Ur of the Chaldeans. He's over in Iraq. Rename him Abraham. Make a covenant with him. Cause a nation to come forth from him Abram, Isaac, Jacob. And then when he, when he brings them forth, that he's now gl- glory dwelling in their midst. Well, the biblical promise isn't that it was just for them. The biblical promise is that it's going to happen again, that when Jesus returns, he says, I will be the glory in their midst. And in fact, he says, there will be a wall of glory fire that surrounds Jerusalem. That will be fun. I know you guys like to visit different places on, on, you know, vacations or whatever. But I'm saying annually, when we go to an age to come, when the nations come to Jerusalem and that wall of glory fire that's around Jerusalem, that's going to be pretty stunning. I don't think they'll be charging admission, but I mean, it's going to be pretty shocking. That's going to be a sight to see. Well, he's, he's the glory in their midst in the Old Testament, and he's going to be the glory in their midst in the age to come. And, and that's what Paul's talking about. This, this pertains to, this pertains to glory. Uh, uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy 4, 7, he says, what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him because there's been, never been another nation like this. There's never been another nation. All right, third, the covenants. I won't go into detail. I gave you verses for all the seven covenants. Hazen spoke about that last week. You can look at those. Um, Paul starts off the book of Romans as I started off tonight. The gospel or the new covenant is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so clearly, even the gospel. So often we get this thing mixed that we think the gospel is to, to, to people to join the church. No, the gospel is the story of the messia, of, of the uh, Messiah of Judaism who died, who shed his blood for the nation of Israel and for the whole world. Like, just get that. You, as a, as a believer in Jesus, you are a believer in the Messiah of Judaism. Okay? You're like, wait a minute. I answered an altar call. I don't know. <laughs> trying to get, a, get out of hell free car. No, yes, all that's true. And you were saying yes to Jesus, whose, whose Jewish name is Yeshua, known as Hamashiach, the Messiah of Judaism. Okay. So the covenants. All right. Fourth, the giving of the law. Now, just imagine, again, how profound it is. We, I know we got Moses in the Ten Commandments. We got the story down. I know we did, we did flannel graph back when we were in... <laughs> you know, uh, Sunday school back in the day. But, but I just want you to imagine God comes down on the mountain. He speaks audibly. Most of us don't really re- recognize this, but when God gives the Ten Commandments, He speaks them audibly to the nation. 2.2 million people gathered around Sinai, all engulfed in glory and fire. And the Lord speaks the Ten Commandments audibly So all the people actually hear the voice of the Lord with their own ears. Jeremiah says this. The Lord says through Jeremiah, says, I remember you in the kindness of your youth at Sinai when you came after me in the wilderness. You know what God was doing with Israel when he was giving them the Torah, the law. That's the, the word for the law, which just means the instruction, the teaching. You know, we, we think of law as you broke the law, you sped, you got a t- ticket. God says, no, this is the teaching of how to live with me in your midst. That's what it is. Uh, he says, I remember you came after me in the kindness of your youth when we were, we were betrothed. See, to the Lord, what the Lord's doing on Sinai when he's speaking audibly, he's He's giving vows. He's speaking the terms, the, the teaching, the instruction, the terms of their joining with him. For, him. for him to be able to dwell in their midst, he's giving the vows, the terms of, of the union. No other nation has ever had anything close to this. Again, Moses, 4, Deuteronomy four eight. What great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Stunning. All right, number five, the temple service. The New King James just says the service. The New American Standard says the temple service. New International says the temple service. Why is that important? Well, God literally comes down and tells them, this is how we are to interface. This is how we are to flow back and forth in love. He didn't do that with every nation. He just does it with the one nation. You know, people are, are fond of identifying, you know, the prophetic promises and God's specific interaction with their nation or their city. But the only one we have in the Bible that's recorded where God specifically says, I am covenanting with you, I am dwelling with you, I am, I am in your midst, I am, I am vowing to you and giving you the instruction to flow in, back and forth in love with me, that's only Israel. And so he goes, now here's the, the service, and that temple service, it's the worship And the sacrifices, it's the night and day worship and prayer and the the animal sacrifices that make up the entire temple system. He didn't entrust that to anyone else. He entrusts that to Israel. And Paul, under the new covenant after the cross, is identifying that as important. That's what you got to catch. Paul is saying it's important that it was entrusted to them. It's important that the Torah, that the temple service, that the glory, that all these things are entrusted to them. We have to honor God's election of that nation. That's what he's saying. Six, the promises. And this is usually where it starts getting intense for people because now now we're going to talk about God's covenant promises as it relates to, yes, Messiah would come which will be number, it'll be the, the seventh one. But uh, it's, it's not just the Messiah, it's the salvation of the nation and that all the nations will be blessed through this man, Abraham. But it's also, he literally promised them land. God, t- now just catch this. God, in, in the promises he gave to Abraham, he said, I'm giving you this much land, and through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'll make a great nation out of you. Here's what we want to do, or what people want to do. We don't want to do it. What people want to do is they go, I just love the promise that God gave to Abraham by faith. He accepted it, and I'm an heir according to the promise that God made to Abraham, and I'm an heir of salvation because of that, and I say yes and amen. Amen. And then they go, but that whole land promise, that's all revoked. But you cannot take the promise that God gave to Abraham for land and separate it from the promise that God gave that he would have a seed. Those promises go together. When when Paul identifies it in Galatians, he said God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand that through him and his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed or redeemed is the idea. That gospel that was preached to Abraham included the land promises. And Paul right here in Romans 9 is holding that up and saying these promises are why we esteem this nation. And in Paul's mind, he understands these promises are eternal promises. He understands the Abrahamic covenant was a covenant that was unilateral. God makes the covenant. He puts Abraham to sleep. He says, I've chosen you. It's an interesting thing about God. He actually thinks he gets to pick. He could have picked anybody that came out of Ur the Chaldeans. You know what I'm saying? He picked Abram. He makes a nation out of him. He makes a covenant with him. And here's the point. When you read it, it's, you can, I put the verses in there for you. Genesis 15, Genesis 22. Paul's making this point. The promise is still intact, but he's also making this point. Uh, Or the the point that that we have to understand about this thing he's saying is still intact is that it's from the Nile in Egypt, the land is from the Nile in Egypt to the Euphrates over in Syria. Now, I don't know if you can imagine the map of the Middle East over there, but Israel's got about this much land right now. But what's promised to them is about this much land. And and God, God doesn't just change his mind. He doesn't just go, yeah, well, you know,
1: I mean, I made a promise. It didn't
0: work out. No, that's you and me. That's not him. That's not how he does. He doesn't revise. In fact, he calls them covenants. He calls them eternal promises. This is the way he thinks. He goes, it's going to happen. I I swear by myself. He goes, I can't swear by anybody else because there's no one greater than me. I swear by myself. This is what's happening. There will be a Messiah, Savior of the world. That Messiah will sit on the throne of, of David, my king, from his lineage. He goes, and Israel's going to get this entire land allotment, I'm promising. And I don't, I don't relent. And so that includes portions of Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, that whole area. I mean, when you look at the Bible verses and you pull out your Bible maps like I was doing again today, just pulling them out, looking at it again, you go, Wow. They're arguing over this much land on the map, and God's promised them this much, and this thing is about to get really serious. Seven, the fathers. This is the heritage, the Jewish heritage, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, and David. You say, well, I'm not Jewish. I don't really care about the Jewish heritage, but listen, God does. And, and how do I know God does? Because when he refers to himself, he refers to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That heritage matters to God. These points aren't just little verses you just read over and just go, well, that's interesting. Paul said something, I don't know, promises, fathers. No, God cares about this stuff. And if he cares about it, guess what? We're supposed to care about it. And our hearts are supposed to be aligned with His. And the heritage that's given through, I mean, that, that history of righteousness come that comes through the Jewish people, it's stunning. And that God would refer to himself in that way, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's, that's shocking. And then finally, the eighth promise is Jesus. That Messiah would come, and we get this, the story of Messiah coming starts in Genesis 3.15, that where where God says to Adam, he says, there's going to come a seed from this woman. And she that, that seed, that human being that's going to come from your line, Adam, he is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent's going to bruise his heel. And then when we get to Abram, and, and God makes a promise to Abram, he says, there's a seed coming from your line. And then Paul's going to tell us in Galatians, that seed is Jesus. And, and here's the point. That whole salvific story, that whole narrative where, where God goes and, and he, he begins to work to redeem humankind again. He, he, he starts with a, a man that he makes a family out of, that he makes a nation out of. And, and he does all of that for this singular purpose so he can bring his son into the earth so that God can dwell among us through Jesus and be the hero and save us, a Jew first and then Gentile. This whole narrative is stunning the way that God puts it all together. He honors the human process and he picks a people through whom which to bring Messiah. And here's the point, and we'll cover this next week. But Paul is really, really clear that God is not about to revoke the promises that he made to Israel, nor is he okay with losing them in the process. And so he is extremely zealous for the Jews to come to salvation. And so what we see in Romans 10 is that they have to receive Jesus. They have to confess him as as God And then in Romans 11, Paul unpacks this thing. He says, oh, the ways of God, oh, the mysteries of God. They're they're shocking. They're stunning to understand. And he unpacks this thing in Romans 11 where he describes how God is going to see to it that every Jew that's living on the planet at the end of the age is ultimately going to come to salvation in their Messiah. And I'm going to end right there on that cliffhanger. Yes you can come back next week for that. So, let's pray. Let's just stand. <clears throat> I'll teach next week and then the following week we'll do a Q&A after the teaching. We'll just take a, a 30 minutes or something after the teaching and just do a bounce around a Q&A. Become Holy Spirit right now. I'm asking. As we've looked at the unique points that are elucidated through Paul's writing, why Israel is precious and important to you, Lord, I pray, even right now as our hearts are, are trying to comprehend what this means, what, why is this important, that you would, you would lift blinders off our own eyes. Even as blindness in part is on the Jews, I pray for the blindness that's on Gentiles regarding your purposes to be lifted. And God, that we would fully understand your desires for your people, Israel. So even in our hearts where uh, anti-Semitism has gained root, even through well-meaning, godly uh, men and women who, who've taught the word, but with error in it. I'm asking you, God, to, to uh, release light and revelation and truth that we would not um, be deceived regarding your plans for Israel. So we thank you, God. And I just, I just want to give you a moment I know these things, some of these truths, it's like, okay, that's it's new, it's a new sound. I haven't understood why Israel is important. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't clear. And so it's a new sound. And, and so I would just say like, where there's dullness on your soul, ask the Lord even right now, just say, Lord, Lord, sharpen my heart, open my, the eyes of my heart as it relates to your plan for Israel. And, and if there's any version of anti-Semitism where you've just been crass or negative toward the Jewish people, um, just ask the Lord to forgive you and that you'd see uh, the way he sees. God is not afraid of rebuking Israel in their sin. We see it all through the Old Testament. But at the same time, he is one who honors his word and he is not... Casting off his people. The New Testament is really clear about that. Paul is very clear about that. So allow, let's just allow the Holy Spirit one more moment. Just allow him to convict any area. And just if, if there's been any version of anti-Semitism that's a negative attitude or crass attitude towards Israel getting in your heart. Just ask the Lord to forgive you. and to give you a revelation about his heart and his desires. So Lord, thank you for that. We love you. Continue to speak to us about this most important subject and these most important people. We give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen Amen and amen. All right, God bless you. you.